Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Before we uh, get into the text here this morning, uh, I want to mention just a couple of things. Uh, First of all, we're very excited about an event that's going to be taking place next Sunday night. Uh, We don't generally have a uh, Sunday evening service here, but next Sunday night we're going to have a special baptismal service. We have four people here uh, at New Life who are going to receive the sign of baptism, Uh, most of them as recent converts. Danny Addington, Linda Hu, Marin Crabtree, and Mary Riggins. So next Sunday night, 6.30, we're going to get together, sing some songs, uh, hear a short message, and uh, perform these baptisms and rejoice together. So you're all invited to come out for that event, again, 6.30 p.m. next Sunday. Also, um, we've been talking about this Christianity Explored class, and that is coming up this Thursday night. So if you're a person who's not a Christian, or you're not sure that you're a Christian, or you're a brand-new Christian, um, this will be a great class for you. It's seven weeks, takes place in uh, the home of my wife and me, and we get together, have some refreshments, watch a video, study the book of Mark. So you're all welcome to that. If you know somebody in your life who... um, would benefit from this. We have some cards we can give to you, and you can give to them that gives basic information, and uh, we'd love to have you. There is a sign-up sheet in the breezeway if you want to attend that, but again, that's starting this Thursday, so um, we'd love to have you for that. Okay, open your Bibles, please, to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 is the text this morning. Uh, We are going through a sermon series on the core values of this church, taking one Sunday to cover each of the five core values that we have here at New Life. So we began a few weeks ago talking about worship. Uh, That's the first of our core values. We value worship, uh, what we're doing right now, coming together as a body and worshiping God. Uh, We also value what we call belonging. We value community. We want to connect with each other. We want to build friendships here at the church. We want to establish community. And we do that through life groups. You'll hear a little more about that later. That's our second core value. So we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Last week we talked about the core value that we call compassion. And by compassion we mean compassion to our community. Uh, We mean the efforts that we put forth to serve the needy and the poor in the place that God has put us. Uh, So that's something else that we we value here. Um, This morning, we're going to talk about discipleship. That's the fourth core value, and we put a lot of effort into helping you grow as disciples. The last core value is evangelism, so here's what we're going to do. Next Sunday, Pastor Brian is going to preach, and then the Sunday after that, September 29th, I'll talk about evangelism, but I'm going to turn that into another little sermon series. So we'll take four Sundays, actually, to explore the last core value, evangelism. So it'll be a four-part evangelism series starting the 29th. But this morning, discipleship. Uh, We value discipleship. Now, what do we mean by that? Discipleship is a a pretty broad topic. Uh, In fact, we could say discipleship expresses itself through all the other core values, now, we grow as disciples as we come to worship and as we connect with one another in community and as we share our resources with the poor and as we share the gospel with one another. So uh, this is a big topic, and we can't uh, hit it from every angle possible. So we're going to narrow the focus of this topic down to one particular aspect this morning, and I'll explain to you what that is. But first of all, let's think about what a disciple is. <clears throat> a disciple 
simply a follower of Jesus. Uh, If you are a Christian, if you place faith in Jesus as your Savior, it's wonderful that your sins are forgiven, but what goes with that is that you become a disciple of Jesus. That is, you become a follower of him. Um, Every Christian is a disciple. There's no such thing as someone who has trusted Christ for forgiveness and then doesn't bother to follow him. Uh, There's no category for that in the Bible. When you are born again, you become a disciple, a follower of Jesus. But a disciple is not just one who follows. It's also a learner, a student, a pupil. That's what it is to be a disciple. It's to be a person who enrolls in the school of Jesus. Uh, you, You become a learner underneath the master. And you sit under his direction. And and you learn from him as he speaks through his word about who God is and what he's like and what he's done and what he's going to do. And in particular, what he has done in Jesus, in the person of his son, on the cross for our salvation and in his resurrection. When you become a disciple of Jesus, you become a student of Christian theology. How's that sound? (laughs) a lot of you are rolling your eyes. You're thinking, wait, I'm a student at Ball State, and I'm a student at Taylor. All I do is study, and now you're telling me that as a Christian, I'm I'm a student of theology as well? I mean, maybe that sounds boring to you and kind of burdensome to you. Well, let me share with you something that Charles Spurgeon has said, British preacher from the 19th century. says, the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy which can ever engage the attention of a child of God is the name the nature, the person, the work, the doings, and the existence of the great God whom he calls Father. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. That doesn't sound boring to me. That sounds thrilling. And that's the privilege that you and I have as disciples of Jesus, to enroll in this school and grow in our knowledge of the gospel. So that's what we're talking about. That's kind of the narrow focus of discipleship we're thinking about here this morning, the responsibility we have to learn and to grow. And we're looking here at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Now, if you know anything about Hebrews, you know that Hebrews is an intensely theological letter. I mean, this whole letter, 13 chapters, are about uh, the person of Jesus and his work as our high priest. And in fact, the writer lists some things here right before our passage, right before verse 11. He, he introduces this idea, if you look at verse 10, that Jesus has designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And he's about to launch into a big explanation of what that means. I mean, how many of you know what that means? That Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek. He is mentioned uh, in the book of Genesis. And the writer here is about to elaborate that on that and um, unpack that for his readers, but he can't do it. He stops short. He can't do it for a particular reason, and that's what we're going to read about now. So please stand, and we're going to read verses 11 through 14 in Hebrews chapter 5. Hear the word of God. The writer, and I say the writer because we don't know who wrote Hebrews, so I'll just refer to the writer as the writer. Uh, 
This person says, about this, that is about this idea of Jesus coming in the order of Melchizedek, about this we have much to say. And it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. God, please, by your Spirit, open our eyes that we can see you high and lifted up in all of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, three things we're going to consider here from this passage, and the first is this. You, disciple of Jesus, are expected to grow. If you are a Christian, you are expected to be a Christian who grows in discipleship and in your knowledge of God. Let me explain it this way. There are three stages of Christian growth, three stages of discipleship. We can say the first is the being fed stage. This is the stage where new Christians are, brand new believers. They've just come to faith. And concepts like sin and grace and Jesus and the Bible, those are all foreign topics. They're unusual to them, and they need to learn. And so they're being fed. They've got somebody in their lives who are holding their hands and bringing them along very gently and feeding them like a baby. And we've all been in that place at some point. We've all been spiritual infants. We all go through that stage. That's the first stage of discipleship, the being fed stage, the baby stage. The second stage is the (coughs) feeding oneself stage. This is the point where uh, we're we're not quite so passive. We become more active in feeding ourselves spiritually. So we're reading the Bible on a regular basis. We are engaging in regular spiritual disciplines. We're praying on a regular basis. We're connecting to a church community. And we're feeding ourselves. And then the third stage is the feeding others stage. That's where you get to the point where you are mature enough that you can begin to have an influence on others. You can talk to them about the gospel. You can explain to them the basic content of the scriptures. You can come along others and help them along in their faith. Not that you're a pastor or a teacher or ordained, but you're just able to take part in feeding the souls of other people. Now, the writer to the Hebrews, as he gets to verses 11 through 14, has a particular concern. And what he's concerned about is that the people he's writing to are in the baby stage when they ought to be in the adult stage. That's his concern. Look at verse 12. He says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers. So the implication there is that these people have been Christians for a while. And by this time, they ought to have matured. They ought to have gotten to the point where they can feed others. But instead, they need someone to teach them again the basic principles of the oracles of God. See, the problem here with the writer is is not that these people are in the baby stage. That that alone is not the issue. Because again, we, we all have to be in the baby stage at some point. 
And maybe you're in the baby stage now. You've just become a Christian and you're still learning. That's perfectly fine. That's good. Nothing wrong with that. The problem the writer is pointing out is not that they're in the baby stage. It's that they are adults and they're still in the baby stage. That's the problem. They ought to be eating solid food, it says at the end of verse 12, but instead they need milk. It's not that they're babies. It's that they're adults acting like babies, spiritually speaking. Now, I've come across something that is very troubling and disturbing, and I was going to show a picture on the screen, decided not to, just because it's so weird. But there are people who actually consider themselves to be adult babies. These are people who are in their 30s and 40s, they're educated, they are gainfully employed, and in order to escape all the tensions and stresses of their lives, they go home and they dress in diapers and they sleep in a crib. And they suck on a pacifier. And they have a blanket. And they call themselves adult babies. And this has gotten to the point big enough where it's even considered a disability by the United States government. And there's a person named uh, Stanley Thornton who lives in California. He receives a disability check every month from the U.S. government because he is an adult baby. Now, Is that the most absurd thing that you've heard this week, at least? (laughs) And there's a lot of absurd things you hear in our world, I understand. But this, this gets pretty close to the top of the list of absurd things. And yet, what the writer to the Hebrews is doing is presenting to us what he considers to be an equally absurd situation. Adult Christians who are acting like babies. People have been Christians for a long time, and they've never grown up. Again, please understand, the admonishment is not against the young Christian, the person who's only been a believer for a year or two or three maybe and still working through the essentials. I think what he's talking about is people have been Christians for 10, 15, 20 years and have just never moved beyond the baby stage. Friends, that's not an an option for the disciple of Jesus. You're called to grow. You're called to mature. In your faith. Let's look at some passages that show this. Look what uh, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right. Why? Because your faith is growing abundantly. There's this significant, generous growth. Paul's impressed and he commends these people. Paul in Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And Peter says in 2 Peter 3, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grow up, Christians, is what the Bible says. Stop acting like a baby. Now, why is it that some Christians don't grow? Well, in verse 11, I think the writer mentions this. He says about this, we have much to say, this Melchizedek thing. And it's hard to explain. Why is it hard to explain? Is it, is it hard to explain because it's so theological and so complicated? That's not what he says. He says the reason it's hard to explain is because you've become dull of hearing. Because you're not listening. You're not paying attention. This word for dull of hearing can also mean sluggish. It can also mean lazy. The reason why you're not growing is because you're lazy. You're not putting forth any effort You're not working at growing as a Christian at all. That's the problem. 
You know, friends, you work hard, I'm sure, at your jobs. You work hard to be good parents. You work hard as students. Do you work hard at growing as a Christian? Now, don't misunderstand me. (laughs) Salvation is a free gift, right? Salvation is freely given to us. It's not something we achieve. It's something we receive through faith. We cannot earn our salvation. We can't do anything to make God love us. But once we've become saved, once we've been redeemed and placed faith in Jesus, if you want to grow, you've got to expend effort to make that happen. It's a clear teaching of the Scriptures. It's not going to happen automatically. I mean, it's just like physical birth. When, you're, when, when you were born to your mother, I mean, you didn't put forth any effort. That's something that happened to you. That's not something you did. You, you were just born. It just happened. And the Bible links that to spiritual birth. That's what it is to be born again. The Spirit comes upon us, regenerates us, and we become new creatures in Christ. It's something that God does to us. But if you're going to grow physically, you've got to work at it. And if you're going to grow spiritually, it's the same thing. And the problem here is that these people apparently don't want to work at it. They become dull of hearing. They've shut off this writer as he's trying to teach them. Well, there could be another reason why you're not growing. If you're in that place and you're not growing, maybe it's not because you're lazy. It could be just because you don't really know how. Where do I begin? How do I grow? So let's consider that. You're expected to grow as a Christian, but in addition to that, you are expected to grow in doctrine. You're expected to grow in your understanding of the theology of the Scriptures. Look at verse 12. Look what he says. By this time, he says, you ought to be what? You ought to be missionaries. You ought to be building houses for Habitat for Humanity. You ought to be evangelists. No, you ought to be teachers. You ought to be teachers. By this time, you ought to be to the point where you can teach. Now, he's not saying, again, that you need to be a pastor or a Sunday school teacher because God gifts certain people for those ministries specifically. But there's another sense in which every Christian should be able to teach another person the very basics of the gospel. You ought to be able to say to someone who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and how it is a person can become a Christian, that it's through faith alone and that his death pays the penalty for our sins and he's resurrected from the dead and lives for us and now the scriptures are given to us so we know how to live as Christians in this world. You ought to be able to teach people that. But instead, the problem here, again, the problem is that These people need the basic principles of the oracles of God taught back to them. In other words, they need to go back and learn their ABCs again. They need these elementary truths explained to them. They've got to go back and learn what 2 plus 2 is. They've got to go back and learn how to write their name on the chalkboard. They've got to go back to the very beginning. And that's the problem. But there's a contrast here in verse 14. The spiritual infant has to go back to the beginning, but solid food is for the mature. And that's what the writer is hoping and expecting, that these Christians would be at a mature stage where they would be eating solid food, where they'd be feasting on peppercorn steak and garlic mashed potatoes and French onion soup and strawberry cheesecake. You know, a big, generous, bountiful meal. That's where he expects these people should be at this point. And I think what he's talking about is the richness and nuanced glory of Christian 
doctrine. He's saying you ought to be at the point where you have learned the deeper things of the Scriptures, where you're uncovering these theological truths that are so rich and majestic and have been given to us by the grace of God in the Scriptures. You ought to be acquainting yourselves, feeding on these things. Doctrine ought to be a part of your life. Now, I know what a lot of you are thinking. Again, you know, ah, doctrine, no. I am just, I am not a doctrinal person. I don't like doctrine. I don't need doctrine. That's for you and Pastor Brian to do. You guys deal with the doctrine. I don't want to be bothered by it. And after all, I mean, Jesus didn't have a statement of faith. So why are we getting so hung up on theology? And, and what I hear is that doctrine divides. When people start talking about doctrine, they, they split and they get mad at each other. But love unites. So let's not have doctrine. Let's just love each other. There's a band called Wilco, an indie rock band. They do a song called Theologians. And in the chorus it says, Theologians, they don't know nothing about my soul. That's what doctrine does. It doesn't touch the soul. It doesn't touch the heart. There is this aversion to doctrine in the church in some places because of what I've already mentioned, but certainly outside the church there's a great aversion to doctrine. And a lot of that is because of the culture in which we live that is always lifting up tolerance as the supreme virtue. Because if tolerance is the supreme virtue, that doesn't go well with doctrine. Because when you get into doctrine, what you are saying is one thing is right and the other thing is wrong. That's the pursuit of doctrine. It's the statement of what is true versus statements that are false. And as Christians, we have to be prepared to be able to discern the difference. And doctrine helps us to be able to do that. If you don't like doctrine, just think of it that way. Doctrine is the attempt to get at the truth. We should be truth-telling, truth-believing people, and doctrine helps us to do this. George Orwell, the great writer, 1984, Animal Farm, said this, in a time of universal deception, and I think that describes our current day, telling the truth is a revolutionary act. If you want to be a revolutionary against the culture in which we live that values tolerance to the point where nobody can say that anything is right or wrong, get into doctrine and learn it and be ready to hold to it and declare it. It's a revolutionary act. Well, still, you might be thinking, uh, you know, I, I'm, you're not convincing me. I don't like doctrine. I don't have doctrine even. I don't even think about doctrine. I don't hold to doctrines. I believe in Jesus, but I don't hold to doctrines, maybe is what you're thinking. Well, let me ask you some questions. Do you believe that there is meaning to this life? Do you believe that you can know God personally? Do you believe that God is a God of love? Do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that God loves everybody? Do you believe there's a hell? Do you believe people go there? Who decides who goes there? Why do people go there? Do you believe that people are basically good or basically bad? Or a combination of the two? Do you believe that you can know God's will for you in this life? Do you believe that God helps those who help themselves? Who do you believe Jesus is slash was? What do you believe that he did? Why did he have to die? 
Now, I'm quite certain that all of you, in all of your heads right now, there are answers coming to the surface to those questions. And if that's the case, you're doing doctrine. You're doing theology right now in your head. I'm positive there's nobody here who has absolutely no response to any of those questions. And whatever responses you're having, it reveals your doctrine. See, it's, the question is not whether you have doctrine or not. The question is whether your doctrine is sound, whether your doctrine is biblical, whether your doctrine is consistent with what God has revealed in his scriptures. That's the question. But don't say you don't have doctrine because you do. Even if you say doctrine isn't important, that in itself is a doctrinal statement. You know, a lot of you are going to proceed down the road of life, and who knows what's in store for you, but um, in God's providence, there's a lot of surprises for us. And some of you are going to have hard experiences coming up. Some of you are going to run into setbacks and disappointments and frustrations and crises and tragedies. Those things are going to happen to some of you, some more than others. And how you respond to all those things is going to depend to a large degree on your doctrine. It's going to depend on what you think God is, what you think he's doing, and why he does what he does. Your doctrine has everything to do with how you're going to respond to the things that happen in your lives. If you're still not convinced that doctrine is important, let me put it this way. Galatians chapter 1, Paul comes and he says, If anybody comes to you and preaches a gospel other than the one that I have preached, let him be condemned. Now, how do we tell the difference between the gospel that Paul preached and the doctrine that someone else would preach? How do you tell the difference? The answer is doctrine. That's how. Paul came and what he said was, here's the gospel. Believe in Jesus. God will justify you before his law and then you can obey God's law in response. That was Paul's message. The Judaizers came in and said, believe in Jesus and then obey the law and then maybe you can be justified. Do you see how subtle that difference is? Two subtle theological differences. One is the gospel. One is heresy. That's how important doctrine is. We're called as Christians to grow, but we're called to grow in our understanding of doctrine. Well, how how do you do this? Where do you begin? If you're a young Christian, you're a baby Christian, you're still in the being fed stage, Nothing wrong with that. Let me encourage you to make sure that you are reading the Bible on a regular basis. That's the place to start. Read the scriptures. Read the gospel of Mark. Read the gospel of John. Let the Bible drive your doctrine. Don't let your doctrine drive the Bible. Because, again, you've got doctrine. There's stuff going on in your head, beliefs about who God is, and those are going to influence what you read in the Bible. Go to the Bible and let the Bible have supremacy over your doctrine. Find a mentor if you're a young Christian. If you're in the being fed stage, find someone here at this church, someone you respect. Ask that person, would you meet with me on a regular basis and just walk with me and help me grow. 
Anchor for the Soul is a wonderful book for new Christians. I would recommend that to you. Anchor for the Soul. Find that, read it, and grow in your understanding. <clears throat> if you're an older Christian, my challenge to you is this. Don't settle for milk. Older Christians, move on to the solid food that is there for you. Challenge yourself. Don't just limit yourself to the Gospel of Mark and John. Read the whole Bible. And find some good books to read. That's why we have this book ministry here. That's why you heard from Josh earlier about uh, the books that we have available. We want this to be a congregation of, of readers and of people who are growing in knowledge in obedience to the Scriptures. And so... You know, some books that I would recommend to you, these are not on the book table, I apologize for that, but these, these are excellent books, Knowing God by J.I. Packer, <clears throat> um, fabulous book on the attributes of God, um, Desiring God by John Piper. Uh, I challenge any of you to read this book and not come away with a new passion for the glory of God. It can't happen. It's impossible. Read this book. Um, the Puritans are, are wonderful. The Puritans lived in the 16th century and wrote some uh, wonderful treatises on various topics, the rare jewel of Christian contentment, and here's the bruised reed for those who are broken down and discouraged. Um, these books are 6 or $7 a piece, and they're just a gold mine. They're so rich. They're treasures, theological treasures that are here for the body of Christ. Uh, the Reason for God, Tim Keller has written this book as a, an apologetic, a defense of the Christian faith to the common objections that uh, come to the gospel in our society today. This actually is on our book table. So, uh, mature Christians, don't, don't settle for milk. Learn, grow, study. And grow as a disciple. Okay, one other thing. You're expected to grow. You're expected to grow in doctrine. But then lastly, you are expected to grow in doctrine that leads to righteousness. How do you know that you are growing? It's not just because you have a bunch of new doctrinal facts in your head. That's not necessarily a sign that you're growing. Doctrine is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. You know, it's very possible to know a lot of stuff about God and not know God. That's possible. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Paul talks in 2 Timothy 3.7 about those who are always learning yet never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. So don't mistake doctrinal knowledge for Christian growth because the doctrine that you study and the theology that you learn is always a means to something else. And first of all, it is a means for you to know Jesus. That's the first priority of your theological and doctrinal understanding. You should learn doctrine so that you can come to appreciate more about who Jesus is. He is the God-man. He is the creator of the universe who has taken upon himself human nature. He's one person in two natures. He is 100% God. He is 100% man. He's this divine being who has the full ability to pay for our sins, but a real human being, a man who is able to stand in our place and represent us before God. All of this caught up in the incarnation. There's something we call substitutionary atonement. That Jesus went to the cross and he died in your place and in my place. He took upon himself the anger and wrath of God that you and I deserve 
so that you and I can have the righteousness of God that we don't deserve. Through faith alone, not through anything that we have done, but received freely and generously through faith. And when you place faith in Jesus, God the Father justifies you before his law. He declares you not guilty. You've done lots of bad things and committed lots of sins, but the doctrine of justification says God declares you not guilty and imputes to you, gives you, credits to you, the righteousness of Jesus so that you can have full assurance that there's no condemnation for you and your sins will never, ever be brought back to your attention or his attention because they have been paid for on the cross. Now, that, that's all doctrine. But, friends, that's not doctrine that divides. That's doctrine that leads to life. That's doctrine that leads to glory. That's doctrine that leads to peace between sinners and God. So that's the first priority of doctrine. It's a means to an end. It's a means to lead you to understand Jesus and have relationship with him. But there's another end. Doctrine is also a means to godliness. It's a means to righteousness. It's a means to mature living. Look at verse 14. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. See what he's saying here is that the mature who feed on the solid food then take what they learn and apply it in their lives. So now they live a Christian lifestyle. It's not just theory to them. It's practice. And it's practiced constantly in their lives as they learn to discern good from evil as a basis of what they've learned through their Christian theology and Christian doctrine. That's what doctrine should lead to. So in this way, friends, you've got to see that doctrine is the most practical thing in the world. Good doctrine leads to godly living. That's what Tom Wells says here. It's on your uh, order of worship. There's a direct line, he says, that runs from our doctrine to our actions, from what is in our minds to what is in our words and ways. The filling of the heart with wise thoughts of God becomes the most important and the most practical business in the world. So if you want to know if you're growing, the question is not how much doctrine do I understand. The better question is what is the doctrine that I understand doing in my heart and in my life? And so I would ask you this, how do you know if you're growing? Well, do you have an increasing love for what is good? Do you have an increasing aversion to what is evil? Are you less quick to defend yourself? Are you less consumed with yourself? Are you quicker to forgive others? Are you less judgmental? Are you less self-righteous? Are you learning to hold your tongue? Are you more willing to part with your resources? Are you more generous? Are you desiring to help the poor? Do you love the church more? Do you love your brothers and sisters more? than you did a year ago, two years ago, three years ago? Those are signs of growth. That's a sign of a spiritually living being in whom the Holy Spirit lives. That's what discipleship looks like. So let me share with you here as we close the opportunities that we provide here at New Life for you to grow as a disciple. Um, A number of of opportunities here. Sunday school, first of all. 
Different Sunday school classes are offered here. The ones being offered now are um, one on women's ministry by Pastor Brian at 10, and then another one on prayer that he's teaching right now at 1130. Uh, Dr. Spiegel teaching a class on um, Christian responses to contemporary moral issues. That's at 10 o'clock. We also have children's Sunday school. Uh, We have a children education team that oversees that whole ministry. We have... Um, opportunities for junior high and high school kids, Sunday school, also Sunday night, the, the, the youth come back and meet. And then on Wednesdays, there's guys and girls groups who get together to study and learn and grow as disciples. Uh, we have something called LAMP, that's leadership and ministry preparation. Pastor Brian teaches this. This is seminary-level training that we offer here on Thursday nights. We have women's and men's studies. Um, Tammy Perkins and Cammie Miller both teach Studies for Women on Thursday, Uh, Cammie every other week, Tammy every week. The men meet on Thursday morning really early, I think like 6.30, but they've been meeting to study together. We have a new college ministry and young adult ministry that's starting on Tuesday night. Josh Rodenbeck and Mandy Liley lead that, just began this past Tuesday, meets here at the church. We have, um, I already mentioned youth ministry, we have book table that we've already heard about, Uh, of course sermons. Uh, every Sunday, we uh, preach from the Word and reflect on what God has taught us. And lastly, take note of this. We are planning a seminar on the perils of pornography coming up November 1st and 2nd. It's a Friday night, Saturday morning. Uh, so you'll be hearing more about that in the coming weeks. But mark that down. Uh, in all of these ways, we are seeking to help you grow as disciples. So let me encourage you, friends, don't, don't settle for milk. Move forward to solid food. But, you know, this is not the only way that we grow. We also grow um, through something we call the Lord's Supper, this means of grace uh, where Jesus feeds us with his body and blood. We're going to do that now. Uh, So let me ask the band to come forward, and let's pray. Our God, we confess to you that we are often dull of hearing and that we don't seek you as we should. We, we, we just thank you that you're merciful to us and pray that you grant to us an increased passion to grow in our knowledge of you. In Jesus' name, amen.